0: chat radio, the multicultural voice of Western Australia, broadcasting from Chuit Hill across the state and around the world. And on today's Stranger on the Chore program, we have Dorota Podalik. Uh, She'll tell me if I've got that wrong, I'm sure, Um, who's going to give us a little bit of an insight into her home country of Poland. So welcome.
1: Hi, thanks for having me, Tim.
0: Great. Now, Tell me initially a little bit about Poland, and then we'll delve into your journey into Australia.
1: All right. Well, uh, Poland is kind of right in the middle of Europe, um, and simply for that reason, it's had a pretty um, pretty rough history of forever being um, taken over and taken apart by the various parties surrounding it. So if you look back, and again, uh, uh, I don't know the dates offhand, but if you looked back through um, history, you would find that quite often it disappeared off the map and didn't exist and then had to fight to regain its independence and its existence. So, um, yeah, it's got a very colourful history and it's got, as a result, some really strong people, um, some passionate people, people who are quite nationalistic and... um, yeah, sometimes that serves them and sometimes it doesn't. Fair
0: <laughs> enough. That's a, <laughs> a good way to look at life, I guess. Um, so tell me now then a little bit about the sort of the cultural things. What, you know, what's important to a poll? Mm.
1: Well, uh, I guess it depends on the categories. Yeah. Um, It's definitely some very important food and drink traditions, um, and there are some very important uh, religious religious traditions.
0: Okay, so So let's start with the important ones first. Food and drink?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, of course. So, um, Poland is um, Catholic, um, but it's Roman Catholic, which... I really didn't understand the distinction for a long time I'm not sure I still do um, but but I guess um, it's it is the very sort of well almost more of a fundamental fundamentalist uh, version of what we understand as Catholicism in Australia um, so it's a little bit um, And and I'm sure most listeners will know that um, religions across the world do take on a cultural aspect. So sometimes I look at the things that we do in Poland as Catholics, and I wonder, is that because we're Catholic or that's because we're Polish? And the lines really blur, you know. Um, So the culture and the religion really intertwine. Uh, But it is a very... um, very religious country, um, and it and it was beautiful in that way for a long time. Um, at the moment, I think, um, if I can <laughs> go um, not too deep into it, but I think at the moment it's really not serving the country very well because the church and the government have really intermingled and there is a lot of um, things happening in the political parties that are very religiously influenced.
0: Okay, well, that's mm. an interesting point because for many years... Um, It was a communist country. That's right. um, Which would have presumably had an impact on religious observance. Um, Mm. So Catholicism or or religion in general is sort of on a a fairly new upswing. Would that be fair? Uh,
1: I think I would find it difficult to comment on that. Um, I certainly... Would say there was a huge resurgence when uh, John Paul II became the Pope because he was Polish. Um, so we always call him our Pope. <laughs> we own him. <laughs> um, so he he actually came from my hometown Krakow as well. And um, when he uh, became the Pope, um, which was well after communism as well, so you know religious observance was well back and acceptable. Um, And I think it it was um, a bit of a pendulum, you know, um, after communism, when uh, religion was free to be expressed, I suppose. um, It kind of swung right back the other way and there was a little bit more, um, hmm, I won't call it fanatism, but... (laughs) Uh, you know, uh, like a, like a pendulum does swing from one extreme to the other. So it was already on on that swing up, and then with um, with John Paul II becoming the Pope, I think it really kind of uh, pushed it even further. And and yeah, absolutely. I know that when I was growing up, which I was born in 1977. Um, so when I was growing up in uh, the late 70s, early 80s, I. For for a long, long time Had no concept of the fact that other religions even existed It's how kind of all-encompassing Catholicism is in Poland Okay Or at least was
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was at the time Yeah, Yeah, sure Yeah, definitely Okay So, okay So religion is obviously an important part of the culture What about music and um, dance and things like that
1: yeah absolutely a huge part and I think that's p- true probably for a lot of uh, European um, countries uh, yeah you really do develop an identity around that um, I know that f- ever since I was little we were always taught um, traditional dance traditional music traditional crafts um, you know the particular patterns and colors that are unique to each, um, (laughs) even though Poland is relatively small geographically, especially compared to Australia, we still have the different regions um, and there'll be particular music, um, particular colors, particular patterns, which are very distinct to each region. And you can recognize people by, you know, the pattern on their dress or the way that the, the song that they sing or the way that they dance. So, Huge huge, um, huge part.
0: Okay, well, that might be a good time to introduce a little piece of music. Mm. Um, do you want to tell us um, sure. something about
1: it? So <coughs> this um, piece is um, someone that I sort of grew up listening to. Definitely, um, he, he was uh, born in 1950, so well before my time. So it's kind of one of those, um, you know, voices, one of those sounds that I, from my childhood I think I listened to him before I was born. You know, mum and dad grew up, li- uh, you know, listened to him. Um, s- his name is Bigniew Vodetsky, um, and he. Only passed away a few years ago and has a very, very long career, and one of those voices and names that every Polish person will know and recognize. So, if you're Polish out there, <laughs> you'll know this one. <laughs>
2: Śnieg syknął kwiat, wszystko to naprawdę. Z Tobą chce
3: oglądać, świat. jaki piękny księżyć, widzisz to, to co ja, jakie to jest pracy. Wystarczy.
2: Jaki święta, i ptak, wszystko to, to wszystko w nas.
3: Gdy ty ja, cały świat jest dla nas. Gdy ty ja zapachłą dla życia. Nocem drogę światło w Wszystko to, gdy ty i ja.
2: Dziś słów ma (muchy) sens Naprawdę jest to takie proste Słuch, świat, wszystko się I płatków śnieg
3: na nasze głowy spać Z tobą chcę oglądać świat Jaki piękny księżyc, patrz Widzisz to, to co jest I ptak,
2: wszystko to, to, wszystko w nas
3: Gdy ty i ja, cały świat jest dla nas Gdy ty gdy, i ja, zapach łąk, plaży, piach, nocy, mrok, światło, świat, Wszystko to, gdy ty i ja Tobą chcę obronować świat zmiennie zmiennie
0: So, Dorota, tell me a little bit about that wonderful
1: love song. Well, the the song, it's obviously a duet, and it's two people um, basically having found each other, um, saying that they want to see the world together. So, the words more or less translated are, with you, I'd like to see the world experience the world and not some kind of travel dream but just those joys of everyday life those little things that we live through every day and how much more meaning they have when you experience them with somebody else so it's a very romantic um duet and to me it's incredibly nostalgic it just seeps nostalgia takes me back i think to a previous life somewhere (laughs) fair
0: enough well Let's go back to a previous life a little bit. Oh, yes. And, and let's go back to Poland. Sure. And you grew up in Poland until you
1: were what day? Uh I was in Poland until I was roughly 10. Okay, so you did mm-hmm. your primary school in Poland. Uh, yeah, we start school a little bit later than we than the kids do here. So we started school when I was seven. Uh, that was sort of my year one or... Year zero, like the equivalent to pre-primary, um, and I only did um, the first two years of primary education in Poland, and then we had summer holidays, and we went on a trip that we never came back from. <laughs>
0: Poland's lost its glorious Of course. <laughs> um, <coughs> so, tell me, um, is schooling? from what you can remember, Mm. um, similar to what it is in Australia, or does it have a totally different sort of bend?
1: Uh, No, I think it's quite different. It is quite different. So, um, firstly, simply... You know, due to sort of um, infrastructure and architecture, um, you know, you attend a school um, that's much like an apartment building. So, you, you know, you walk through the front doors and you are inside a building all day long, going from class to class along different hallways. Um, obviously, there's the outside area for when you're doing sports or breakout for um, lunch and what have you. But lunch is again very different. So we had a cafeteria where um, which served hot meals, um, and that was just part of being at school. So you never had to remember your lunchbox. Uh, But uh, the way that it was structured, right from um, very early years, um, is very much like high school is structured here. So we would have a form class that we would be in every morning, um, and then we would physically go from one class to another the teacher wouldn't come to you you had to go to them Um, and you would attend specialized classes you would have your uh, mathematics and from those very early years we would have um, you know music and history and language which was Russian at the time (laughs) so I had to learn some Russian when I was in year one and year two Um, so it was much Much less nurturing. (laughs) Um, I I love the way my kids are attending primary school. You know, very, uh, very nurturing, very inclusive um, and very much outdoors. It was very, very different for me. Yeah, very high expectations. Um, And the whole system right to this day is um, based on academic performance. So if you didn't pass a particular subject, you had to repeat the whole year And that was right from very early years. So there was no chance of going through without knowing something. You know, you really had to do the work.
0: Okay. Now, you surprised me just now by mentioning that the language was Russian. (laughs) Um, Yes. And I guess that goes back to the communist influence. Yes. But um, obviously at some point the Polish native language re-emerged.
1: Um, I meant we we learned Russian as an additional language. We we didn't study in Russian.
0: Oh, okay. So So you mm -hmm. learned Russian and Polish at school. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, And English wasn't on the curriculum, I guess.
1: (laughs) Didn't realise it existed.
0: Right. (laughs) Personally. So you came to Australia speaking Mm. Russian and Polish. How did you acclimatise to the fact that most people in Australia didn't speak either of those languages.
1: Yeah. Um, there is a little bit of a middle chapter there, actually, because we were unable to come to Australia directly from Poland. And we were actually in Austria and Vienna for almost two years. So I also had a go at learning German for a while, um, which also not very widely spoken in Australia. <laughs> um. Yeah, look, I I think when I came to Australia, I was kind of already in this strange phase of being in a no man's land uh, because of our stay in in Austria. So I guess the culture shock or um, that feeling of alienation was lessened because I'd already been living it for some time. Um, It was just Drastically different, suddenly drastically different, Um, but the underlying feeling much the same.
0: Yeah, um, Mm. a big thing for a 12 year old to cope with, I can imagine.
1: Yeah, it was a really interesting period of time, Um, pretty much from the time I um, was taken on that faithful holiday. um, I kind of really feel like I. Stopped being a child, really. Um, those times in <coughs> those times in um, Austria were quite difficult, very much an eye-opener. Um, and very quickly, a lot of responsibility and stress um, came into my life. I spent a lot of time, well, most of that period of time, looking after my younger brother, who is three years younger than I. We lived in a tiny, tiny apartment. Tiny little apartment was basically a bed set, um, just one bedroom, and the four of us—mum and dad and the two of, of us kids. And um, while mum and dad weren't home most of the time, we were, and we had to kind of look after each other and ourselves and be quiet too, so the neighbours wouldn't hear that there were kids at home. So <laughs> it were very um, difficult times. But we ran away into our world of imagination. I don't associate a lot of stress with those times, strangely. Um, Certainly some periods were, but for the most part, it was almost just like a great big adventure. Mum and Dad were amazing at making it fun and positive and adventurous and mysterious to lessen that stress. And I think I very quickly learned how to take that on because I could see that it worked and I did my best to do that for my brother too
0: Okay, so Mm. um, a fairly tight knit unit um, at that stage Now, we're not going to let you escape from Poland just yet because (laughs) um, earlier on you mentioned a couple of my other favourite topics food and music Ah. Um, So let's talk about food. I mean, there's some wonderful, very yeah. healthy meals that come out of <laughs> Poland. Um, so, so, so tell me about Polish yeah. food.
1: Oh. Polish food is obviously delicious, um, but it's very, very rich. Um, it's very meat-based. So if you are a vegetarian, I think you would find that quite difficult. Um, so when we were a littler food was relatively scarce Um, so there are a few kind of strange um, dishes that I remember from my childhood that are actually very basic when I look back now I realize it's probably due to scarcity than anything else that you know we had such meals Um, so one of them is rice baked with apples Um, and you literally just boil your rice pop it in a dish a thin layer of rice um, then a g- very generous layer of grated apples and a little bit more rice on top of that, and that just goes into the oven, um, and it's almost like an apple crumble type thing, but with rice on either way side of the apple. So that that was a that was a you know not an uncommon dinner. Another one is simply just um, pasta with cottage cheese and sugar on top, and again, that's something that we grew up um, with. But um, your your pastas, your, your noodles, well, not noodles in the Asian style, but more like an Italian type pasta, um, very common. One of my favourite things is pierogi, which are almost like dumplings. So you put um, well, virtually whatever you can inside these pasta parcels. And if you can, you'll um, put uh, pork and cabbage or potato and cottage cheese and onion, but my grandma often used to make it with fruit as well. So we would have apples inside or blueberries or strawberries. And when they came out of the pot all boiled and hot, just pour some cream over the top and more sugar. And <laughs> yeah, as I said, Sounds that's a healthy food. Uh, um, yeah, <laughs> very, very healthy. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, 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 I have this imagery of
1: mm. dumplings
0: being very much a, a Polish um, Dish and, yeah. and also lots of potatoes. Is, is that right, or am I? Yes, pretty?
1: absolutely, definitely, lots of potato. We were very fortunate to have some family that lived out in the country, so I had the pleasure of, you know, being part of a harvest of or two um, of potatoes. And I remember the um, the cellar under my great grandmother's house always have this had this mountain of potatoes in the cellar, mm. and every dinner was pretty much potatoes. Um, with something but potato is definitely a staple
0: okay now while we're wandering around the kitchens of poland um take me back to the earlier days of poland before you were born Mm -hmm. um before communism um, as far back as you can take us and just give us a little bit of an insight into the Mm. early days of poland if you can
1: Oh this is um yeah it's it's a um interesting history, so it's a history of kings and king queens and castles um if you are at all familiar with um sort of scottish um history where they had um clans, it wasn't unlike that um so there were some clans um that often, you know, um, had to fight to forge alliances and picket among themselves, <laughs> and um, and what have you. So, um, food was actually also a big a big part of of those um, connections. And again, when I mentioned before about having um, the smaller areas where you know dance and and and. Folk patterns would identify that. That stums, stems right back to to those clans, those sort of um, kings and days of the kings and the queens. So
0: we're we talking now, sort of 18th century. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. So a slightly what I was going to say, warrioristic, but I don't think that's a word. But um, <laughs> we'll make one. <laughs> but a, 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 a country where. Um, having to fight mm. for your rights was sort of quite uh, prevalent.
1: Absolutely, and, and I think that's a really um, that's a really strong part of the Polish identity. Um, and like I said, you know, this is probably something that has served our people in a lot throughout history sometimes not but but yeah we've definitely sort of grown up with the idea of having to not just fight for what you want um, but be prepared to fight for what you've already got to protect it to stand up for it Um, and maybe that's why people value very highly things that they've already got education has also been something that's valued incredibly highly Um, And Poland has, is having some, you know, difficulties, of course, now, especially with our global situation with employment and what have you. Um, And when I speak to some of my family and friends back there, I I sometimes really am astounded at high, at the level of education and experience and qualifications among our unemployed. (laughs) Um, It's kind of, yeah, it's it's almost ironic
0: Okay So you mentioned right at the beginning That over the years at different times Poland had been virtually swallowed up by other nations mm. Who um, <coughs> Did that have an impact on the language that's spoken in Poland? Did, they, did you sort of get a, a hybrid mm. language Or did Poland, the Polish language stay pure?
1: Uh, to be honest, I actually don't know the answer to that. Um, I, I think that f- it has stayed relatively consistent. Um, but, I- but you, yeah, you're, you're probably um, correct in your suspicions. It must have been influenced. I mean, in I know my uh, grandfather on my mother's side, when you look at his birth records, um, it the city he was born in, is said to be Poland, and it and it isn't at the moment. So, even looking at quite recent history, um, you know the borders have always shifted. Yeah. Okay.
0: So, the language is, however, unique. I don't think it's spoken in any other country in the world.
1: Yeah, correct. It is unique. Um, it's very similar to um, sort of Czech Slavic. Um, but not the same, definitely not the same.
0: And does it use letters the same as ours, or does it have some other?
1: Uh, It does have letters the same as um, we use in English, um, but it also has a number of hyphens that um, are used above and below the letters, and that changes the sound of them. So we, we have a little bit of a laugh at our own surname in my family, because um, our uh, surname in Australia is pronounced pudelek with an L because that's how it's spelled. Um, and uh, in Polish it would have a hyphen either above it or through it, making it a W sound which would be a Pudelwek. And the amusing thing about it is that pudelek in Polish would refer to the dog breed Poodle. So I guess I'm a poodle. Um, however, with the hyphen, it has the meaning of a box or a container. So we've gone from a box to a dog <laughs> with the lack of a hyphen.
0: I'm sure that some um, <laughs> etymologist would um, have fun with that. I'm uh,
1: sure. um, In fact, when we first came um, here, my parents struck up a friendship with um, some other Polish people they met at English school. Um, in fact, friends that we're still friends with them to this day. Um, and their children <coughs> got um, their wires crossed and I said, you know, are we going to go and visit those box people again, you know, um, and guess guess, but what, what are you talking about you know what box people and because they made the connection of the word and translated it into English and the, the whole meaning got lost but they knew what they were talking about you know those podelics.
0: Yeah, <laughs> those fine okay box people um, alright so you mentioned that the costumes were mm-hmm. very much regional specific and um, what about the dance um, I mean Presumably, they all have folk dances specific to their regions as well.
1: Yes, they do. And again, unfortunately, I left Poland probably a little bit too early um, to learn um, to learn the you know the, the specifics. And my sort of um, identity, I guess, personal identity as a as a Polish person overseas um, was quite lost and mixed for long time and I didn't really maintain the connection with the Polish culture very much when we came to Australia so uh, we do have a good Polish community here and a Polish church and a Polish school and a Polish dance club even um, and I n- never participated in any of that when I when I came so um, sadly my knowledge on that is quite limited
0: Okay, Mm. Um, what about festivals? Are are, are there any sort of big festivals, celebrations?
1: Yes, there are, and they're very closely related to the religion, um, so our religious festivals. Uh, Christmas, of course, is the... It's huge um, in Poland, the most important festival, I would say. Um, And we have a very specific way of celebrating that. Um, We have a beautiful meal on Christmas Eve as opposed to Christmas Day. So um, we celebrate um, in the evening. We have a meal when the first star comes out, which in Poland in winter is very early. Uh, but when you're waiting for that um, in Australia in December, it turns <laughs> to be very late, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which we have known, uh, been known to do that. Um, and we have sort of 12 traditional courses that we have in that meal. And again, they are incredibly satisfying on a cold winter's evening um, and incredibly heavy <laughs> in the middle of an Australian summer. <laughs> so we have had to scale that back a little bit and modify it um, to to suit the climate. But again, um, interestingly, Poland being very um, meat and potato based in its um, sort of uh, everyday traditional foods, that Christmas meal is completely vegetarian. Um, And it's one of the few times that we do sort of have these amazing vegetarian no,
0: no, maybe you have to start having Christmas in July.
1: Perhaps so. would be much more suited. <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, I could do with some beetroot soup tonight, I think. So oh, One of the things, <laughs> exactly, one of the things that we, we have on Christmas Eve. Yeah,
0: okay. Mm. Now, seeing as how we're talking about Christmas, mm-hmm. do you have Father Christmas in the way that we do in Australia?
1: a little bit different Mm -hmm. (laughs) so we um, have um, Saint Nicholas I guess is the translation Um, and he doesn't actually come at Christmas he comes quite a few days before I can't remember how many now it's a couple of weeks before Christmas yeah that he um, that he comes and he is um, kind when he can be but he will bring you a um, Oh my goodness, I wouldn't know how to say it in English. Ruzga. Hmm. It's almost like um a broom made up of made out of twigs. Yeah. Okay. Um and it whereas it can serve to sweep the floor, it's actually for giving you a good old spank if you've not been good. <laughs> I,
0: I, I get the concept. Yeah. Uh, a, bit, a bit like the witch's broom.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And even um, when you do get that lovely gift you've been um, waiting for, there will often be a, a small symbolic, um, you know, broom attached to it, to the wrapping or to the ribbon, just just to warn you to, to stay on track.
0: Okay. So to make sure you stay on the good list and exactly. not on the naughty list. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, how about now we play a little bit more
1: music? Sounds fantastic. Tell me. So this next song is um, some th- is, is a more recent, not very recent, but a more recent um, artist that um, I discovered while I was already in Australia. So I was probably in my late teens, early 20s. And this is a beautiful, beautiful song um, that he sings about his daughter. <laughs> And about the love that he has for her and what he's willing to put into his role as a father. So it's a beautiful, beautiful song.
0: And this, I think, is Natalie.
1: It's called Natalie. And it's Ryszard
2: Wszystko zaczął ja. Ty mi pomogłaś wygrać z losem. Czekałaś na mnie w prógu i twój nieduży świat. On Natali. O Natalii Masz przed sobą świat piękniejszy, lepszy od O Natalii To twój czas i twoje miejsce Natalii O, o Natalii Jeszcze się nauczysz żyć Natalii Natalii Jeszcze drogę swą wybierzesz, Natalii Lecz gdy otrzesz pierwszy, Tak jak teraz będę blisko Natalii rośnie i zerwiesz się jak ptak Bargi zagryzę nic nie powiem w goście Jesien jest duga, słońcu spalone na a potem wrócisz nagle porannym słońcem już lekko zap. Natalii Masz przed sobą Świat piękniejszy, lepszy w mi O Natalii To twój czas i twoje miejsce Natalii O Natalii Jeszcze się nauczysz żyć Natalii O Natalii Jest yes, 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 yes,
0: Okay, so after that little interlude, Mm -hmm. let's now... I want to explore something you said earlier on about going on a holiday when you were 10 and never returning, well, until you went back much later as an adult. Yeah. Um, Tell me the story behind that.
1: Mm. So this kind of um, (laughs) stems from the political situation we had in the country at the time. And uh, we were actually for, for a very long time um, under martial law um, in Poland. And just recently when I was reading up a little bit on that period of time, it's actually the longest stint of any country being under martial law. So, Because it was for like more than two years. So um, it was a very difficult time. There was a lot of shortages. Um, it was a time where... The people were incredibly restricted in every way and one of the ways in which we were restricted is that we were not allowed to leave the country. So um, all passports had been, I guess, you know, cancelled or made invalid. You, you were not allowed to leave. There was no possibility of that. So um, needless to say, <laughs> as soon as you can't do something, people want to achieve that even more. Um, Now, we already had some family in Australia, um, because some years before that, my mum's sister's husband, (laughs) through another crazy story, which I won't go into, um, ended up in Australia. um, That was in the early 70s, and she followed on. Um, Anyway, mum and dad um, explored the idea of coming over here, but... um, it was still quite difficult from the Australian um, standpoint and virtually impossible from the Polish standpoint because, you know, you couldn't leave the country. Um, So through some connections that my dad had um, and the fact that we were involved in a caravanning club which held meets and people from different European countries would come to these great big caravanning meets Um, and a couple of them had been held in Poland and I remember going to one, I think, I can't remember the country maybe in the Czech Republic or something at the time when I was younger, maybe about four or five and people from all different countries would come and get together and, and, and just be friends and have a good time they were the most wonderful things a very, very fond memory from my childhood So, Dad was also one... I can't remember exactly his position, but he was on the organizational committee of these of these meets from the from the Polish side. So we were granted temporary passports valid for I can't remember how long, just a couple of months, two or three months. And the idea was for us just to go to this caravanning meet and come back. However, we did not come back. My parents sort of planned this uh, one-way exit, but it remained a secret to all our family and my parents' parents and certainly to us kids. So we really did think we were just going on a caravaning trip, but we didn't go back. And we didn't really know that we weren't coming back for quite a long time, so they sort of kept devising a story after a story as we were extending our stay in Austria and I was a little bit older than my brother I kept quizzing you know isn't school starting we should be going back now you know and yeah finally they sort of said look you know we're actually not going back and it was a very very shocking piece of news I was heartbroken and it still makes me cry today if I think about it you know I didn't want to I didn't want to not go back was everything I, I knew but of course looking back now i can totally understand why they made that decision you know and how hard it would have been for them too Mm.
0: yeah um fascinating and so you spent a couple of years in vienna and Mm -hmm. obviously ultimately got the appropriate paperwork to come here
1: yeah and it was very interesting because um we were approved by the australian government to come and enter australia in 1989 and it was Um, Just before that, that actually communism um, fell apart. And we actually, I didn't, again, at the time I I wasn't aware, but my parents were sort of faced with an interesting choice at the end of that time because they could have gone back to Poland. Um, The political situation changed very quickly. Um, So then they had a choice, you know, they could go back um, or they could come here. And face some more unknown, and um, yeah, I, I guess I'm glad they they made the choice they did. Very brave of them. So we came.
0: So that was the time of the solidarity movement.
1: That's right. Yeah, I don't know too much about it. Um, it's it was it was a, a it was a workers' union movement, um, and uh, it. I mean, it wasn't just. The working people's uprising because on its own they could not have swung those kind of political powers but um, it coincided with other changes across um, Europe and and you know the retreat of of the the troops from the Polish borders and and certainly gave um, Poland its independence back once again
0: okay Um, and Still independent today,
1: Um, (laughs) yes. For now,
0: (laughs) yeah, and and been very stable uh, politically for many years, I guess.
1: Well, since nineteen eighty (coughs) nine, excuse me, it has had a relatively stable government, and um, it has had a stable economy and an economy that has consistently grown. Um, You know, I I kind of. I guess looked at Poland again for the first time when I went back sometime later and I remember when I was little uh, going to the shops and the shelves being completely empty at the shops and, you know, we were on food stamps and, you know, the shortages were very real. And then I went back when I was 21 and it was just like walking into any shop here in Australia. Everything was available. Everything was plentiful everything was there and um i was spent the first few days thinking wow how amazing until i realized that nobody could afford to buy the stuff that was there and i realized that we'd we'd done a 180 as, as a country and when i say nobody of course it's not nobody because there were people that you know were well to do um post that movement <coughs> Um, but the majority of of the working class really couldn't, um, and they were on very very small incomes compared to um, the prices that I was seeing um, for you know everyday op- items. So um, I was still very thankful <laughs> that we were in Australia and had a much more realistic sort of um, standard of living. Mm. So.
0: By this time, Poland was part of the EU, or...?
1: <coughs> mm. um, not at my first visit. I think they came just a little bit after that. Okay.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's now transport the four of you to Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and tell ah. me about some of the issues that you had to face, A, as a family... But be more particularly you as a twelve, thirteen-year-old.
1: Oh well, the language barrier was obviously the first thing. We none of us spoke any English at all. So, like I mentioned before, that feeling of isolation, um, not belonging, um, it was it was very strong. Not necessarily brand new because we had done our stint in in, in Austria which was very similar Um, but I guess the difference was that in in Austria in Vienna we knew it was temporary we were still going to that place you know that final destination and a lot of expectations and a lot of feelings were attached to getting there so when we did finally arrive um, I guess maybe there was a part of us or part of me that expected that everything would be okay now because we made it and it wasn't you know it wasn't okay it was very difficult um so it was really just the beginning of the next chapter and I think for me personally things weren't okay for a very long time not until I was well into my 20s um that I was able to reconcile my identity and 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 being okay with who I was and having left and being here but those early days I I remember I I was very fortunate you know my family is very tight-knit and they make a lot of effort I think my parents made a lot of sacrifices and a lot of effort just in little small everyday things to make it okay and to take the stress away. Okay. But regardless, it was me that had to go to school every day and listen to a teacher who spoke blah, blah, blahish, and I didn't understand a single word. And God bless Mr. Reedy, Year 7, Maylands Primary, if you're listening. <laughs> um, he was phenomenal. I, I don't know how, how he did it, but he just always made me feel so included and so okay. And there was a small ESL center there that I spent most of my day participating in and just went into that mainstream class for a a small period of every day for maths and for something else. I can't remember what it was. Art maybe or something like that. Um, Otherwise we were in this ESL centre where there was a variety of other people just like me who also... Didn't understand anything. The downside was we didn't understand each other either. One of them was for, from Sri Lanka um, and one from Hungary and I, I can't remember the others, but those were the two girls I made friends with. I mean friends with. We sat together. Yeah. We listened and to music. We shared food. We didn't talk much.
0: Yeah. I, I can understand the disconnect with the Tamil lady who spoke to her the kid that spoke Tamil. mm I would have thought that with the kid that spoke Hungarian, there would have been a bit more of a crossover because there are some similarities between the languages, I think,
1: mm. are there? Uh, I guess maybe it's it felt more familiar, but uh, it's not similar enough to understand it. And to me, Poland had been so sheltered um, that I really wasn't aware of other countries or other cultures very much. Um, apart from the European cultures, uh, thanks yeah. to the caravanning <laughs> experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it, to me, I, I, I still think back on it in positive ways. You know, I did in my head. I, ra- I ran away a lot in my head. I ran away a lot um, into my books. I've always loved reading. Um, but I made it into an adventure, you know. So um, I loved, absolutely loved other cultures still do so i was fascinated by this sri lankan friend and and the color of her skin and and the way she did things and the food they ate and <laughs> and all that and i was very keen to discover you know what everybody else had to offer so to me that exposure to multiculturalism um was huge was beautiful it was eye-opening it's like the world opened up So um, did you
0: stay in contact with these two kids or
1: no sadly we didn't um, pre pre-facebook times you know pre-social media we um, didn't have very much language even as we graduated and I um, we went into different high schools and unfortunately lost touch but um I guess two people that, will just always be really dear in my heart you know and whoever they actually are and whatever they're doing they made a huge difference to me in at that point in my life
0: great well before Mm. we continue that story Mm -hmm. let's introduce another piece of music
1: sure this one um is who have you got michael Spock there next i think he he's um a more recent addition to our Polish cultural repertoire Um, and this one is interesting because he um, is a star that was born in the Eurovision um, tradition (laughs) so he was a Polish entry into Eurovision I I can't remember which year um, around 2010 I I imagine Um, and a lot of the Eurovision people don't really have long lasting careers they're a bit of a fad uh, but this one here has has been amazing and, and a very well respected artist in Poland and um, he actually as, as struggled to find a song he sings in Polish he sings a lot in English as well so um, this one is uh, beautiful and it kind of ties in with this theme the the lyrics to this song are about being brave enough to be yourself Um and how some people never have the courage to do that till till the day they're gone. And I think it took me a long time to figure out who that was, so I really identified with that song.
0: Okay. So here is Michael, whose surname I'm not even gonna to attempt to pronounce. <laughs>
3: Ile być Inni nie mogą Inni nie mogą do Parto
0: let's just continue Um, Mm -hmm. you talked about the issues you had when you went to school because of the language barrier Um, and obviously that would have been a barrier not only at school but everywhere you went Um, and also obviously for your family but what were the other issues that confronted you as a family um, when you sort of first settled in in Australia in the late 80s early 90s
1: Hmm. Well, for those of you listening who are in Australia and are familiar, Australia in 1989 wasn't particularly advanced um, in many ways. um, And it was also going through um, an economic depression. So we had um, a couple of things that happened very quickly. (coughs) And again, for those who are not familiar with with Europe... um, like I mentioned we had spent two years living in Austria and Austria is um, a very w- at the time was sort of on the cutting edge of econo- economy technology Um I spent the time there you know going from our apartment into the city in an underground metro system Um they had um, you know uh, technology new cars old castles you know it was a very rich culture <laughs> we arrived in Australia and my auntie wanted to take us into perth city to show us around and we went to catch the train and this is you know probably in our first week definitely not the first day but sort of in our first week and we were at the maylands train station on a wooden platform and it felt like the wild west there was nothing around and you know that australian red earth all around and i was freaking out i just had no idea why we were standing on this platform what were we waiting for where's the train you know like how can the train be here I could see the train tracks but there was no station no platform no underground system and then a train arrived a steam train choo-choo coming down the railway tracks and (coughs) as it arrived a conductor jumped out from the front carriage and opened the wooden doors for us to embark onto a wooden carriage to take us into Perth City. And I was seriously pinching myself, thinking we've gone through some kind of a time warp because surely this, this couldn't be real. And unfortunately, those were the differences between Australia and, well, at least Western Australia and Europe at the time so it was a it was a huge culture shock Um, and then we we went into the city and it was the smallest city I've ever seen we walked from one side to the other in a matter of 10 minutes and everything was closed and I just couldn't believe why we had sacrificed so much and I didn't understand why we fought so hard to be here because I couldn't see anything here for us Okay, and
0: mm. that that era was also a time of economic downturn in western yeah. australia. how How did that impact on term in terms of you know trying to establish yourselves?
1: Yeah, so um as we arrived because we had um, sort of attained citizenship before we we arrived, we sort of, <coughs> I guess fortunately and unfortunately st- ended up on the Centrelink sort of benefit straight away um so there was some support government support um but obviously my parents didn't speak the language so they started off by going to school and learning uh the language but very quickly mum and dad started trying to find some work and there was just no work to be found uh, my dad is an incredibly skilled, incredibly handy person. You name it, he can do it. Um, so he was able to literally do anything um, and couldn't find work, could not find <coughs> any other source of income. And it wasn't really just about the money. It was about finding that opportunity that we had fought for, um, about finding the, the possibilities that we were dreamed of and they just they just weren't there. So um, my dad had some distant cousins that lived in the US and they made the decision that dad was actually going to, to go over there. My um, dad's cousin or auntie, I can't remember who, lent him the money for the one-way ticket from Australia to the US. And he went, he left um, my mum and the two of us here um to do the best we could while he went over there to to see whether that was a better option it wasn't about going over there to earn money or or uh, you know to send it back or anything like that it was really about what is the next step for the family is it going to be worth just going over there instead so he spent quite a few months there and luckily <laughs> he decided that as prosperous as it was on the surface um, a lot of the systems that they had in place and you know my dad um, is a pretty clued on guy and always thought long-term and always thought about the best for his whole family he was never blinded by an income although he's always worked hard and having um, understood the medical care system and the education system in the US, he decided that that just wasn't how he wanted his family to, to live, despite the fact that work was easy to come by at that time. Yeah.
0: So fortunately for us, he made the decision to come back.
1: Fortunately for me. <laughs> rather
0: than taking all of you over there. Um, yeah. So you're now sort of a teenager. mm mm-hmm. um, And... I guess, sort of gradually established yourself into society in Australia.
1: Yeah, um, again, one of the things my parents um, really valued um, was education. And despite being on um, government assistance, um, they put us at a private school. So um, after having done that one year at Maylands Primary, I went to Chisholm Catholic College in Bedford. God knows how my parents afforded it, but um, that was their priority. And I was incredibly fortunate to meet some beautiful, beautiful people. Um, I remember just a couple of weeks, maybe not even, a few days into year eight, um, a girl that was in my form class noticed that I didn't know anyone. And I will never forget her coming up to me, just simply saying, Would you like to be friends? And I'm really glad to say that I'm still in touch with her today and I still count her a friend. That group of friends I made in high school really was my rock for a long time. And they saw me through a lot of kind of ups and downs and maybe they didn't realise at the time. Maybe they still don't realise. Um, But they, they meant everything to me. That it was the first time I kind of felt like Maybe at some point I could belong. I still didn't feel like I did. I still felt very much like a Polish person elsewhere. And I hated being asked where I was from and I, and I hated being asked how my name was pronounced and, and I really begrudged all that, you know. I just wanted to be normal. I just wanted to belong. But it's very silly, you know. I, I look back now and that group of friends that I made in high school, they were so diverse. I mean, the girl that came up to me, was her name was Michelle Balm, but she was Anglo-Indian. Two of the other girls that I sort of formed close friendships with in that group were Indian. One was Sri Lankan. A couple of them were Australian. Um, A couple of the boys in that group, again, were Australian, but a a really good... um, friend in that group was from the middle east so we had an incredibly um sort of diverse group um and for whatever reason it never occurred to me that they might have felt the same as i do but maybe that's why we stuck together
2: Hmm.
0: so at that point you were starting to re-establish your identity
1: yeah <coughs> and um I did well at school, I always had, so that was always my strength, that was my source of feeling successful, having those you know, moments of success, um, I loved art um, and, and did well I- in those areas, I remember having to fight pretty hard in year 10 to be let into um, mainstream English for year 11 and 12 because I was still in the ESL stream. And I think my parents pretty much had to threaten to pull me out of the school if I wasn't moved to a mainstream English class for year 11. However, I was assured that I just couldn't make it. So I had to prove them wrong and come top of the year in year 11.
0: (laughs) Expect nothing less. (laughs) That's
1: that Polish determination to fight, you know.
0: Dorota, thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk to us today. Um, I know we have one more piece of music to to play Mm. as we go out. Um, So as we say farewell, would you
1: like to introduce it? Yeah, this last song, um, I don't have a particularly strong personal connection with it, but I think it speaks to me more about where Poland is at the moment if you played it and ignored the language it almost sounds like any Australian pop song or American pop song and I think it really um reflects Poland's desire to belong to be like everyone else to be a part of that more global um village and I think it reflects my own kind of um you know feeling of now belonging and there's sort of happiness and sadness in that because i think that um even though the song is in polish I, I t- to me it, it doesn't have that polish culture or flavor attached to it so um as you gain you lose some things and i think that's really important to remember
3: Nie dziś Dziś nie przeproszę, wybacz mi Jeszcze mi głupio, jeszcze wstyd Nie jestem gotowa, nie przyjdą te słowa Znasz mnie? Chyba gdzieś głębiej muszę zejść Cała się trzęsę, jest mi źle. Bałagan mam w głowie, nie myślę rozsądnie. Dam znać kiedy już ochłonę, a ty wtedy tych Że już wszystko dobrze, a ja? może zdążyć. Mądrzeć. Jestem męcze zaufaj